Today we continue our series from the Sermon on the Mount. We have come to Matthew chapter 6. And I mentioned to you last time, Jesus said, There are two potential temptations from the world. The first is that we love the world, and if we love the world, then that takes us away from God. Now, you recall that was the temptation to Jesus from Satan when he was in the wilderness. And Satan said to him, if you will fall down and worship me, then I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. The Apostle Paul said of Demas, Demas, having loved this present world, hath deserted me. So one of the temptations we all face is a love for the world. Now, the second potential temptation concerning the world is that we fear it. And if we fear the world, then we are relegated to a life of worry. I, I don't know if I am speaking to anyone this morning other than me, but I have to confess to you, I tend to worry. I try not, but I tend to worry. When those lights switched a while ago, I thought, oh, the whole thing's going to fall apart on us. <laughs> I, I mean, and, I, and then I said, that's, you're preaching about that this morning. Don't think that. But, I, you know, that's a struggle for me. Now, the word worry is interesting because it is two Latin words, one which means to divide and the other means the mind. So the word worry then literally means to divide the mind. It means that you have this conflict that is happening in your mind, that you are divided and it is pulling in opposite directions. Thus, we can't enjoy what we have because we're worried about what we don't have. We can't celebrate what we've done because we're worried about what we haven't done. And so that's what the word itself means. It means to divide the mind. So to worry then means that you have a divided mind that is pulling in opposite directions. So that's what we're going to look at today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. So in our text, when Jesus begins, he points out those three most basic worries that we deal with. 
The first is that of food. Now, my mother grew up in the time of the Great Depression, and that probably impacted her concerning food because there was no way we were ever going to run out of food. The pantry was full of food, but not only did we have what we needed, we had backups for everything. She had a refrigerator that was full, but she also had a freezer that was full. And then she had another refrigerator in the garage that was full. I remember when my younger brother was going to college, he came to live with Linda and me for a time. And and one night I got up and he's standing there in front of our refrigerator with the door open. And he's just looking. I said, Mark, what are you looking at? He said, I've never seen the back of a refrigerator before. The Bible says that we are not to worry or be anxious about food. And here's the argument in verse number 26. Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Now, his argument is this concerning food. God gives life. If God gives life, then we can count on God to sustain life. Barclay wrote, the first argument is that if God gave us life, we can trust Him for the things which are necessary to support life. And then he illustrates it with the birds. And he says that God provides for all the animals. Rabbi Simeon wrote, in my life I have never seen a stag as a dryer of figs, or a lion as a porter, or a fox as a merchant, yet they are all nourished without worry. So the point that Jesus is making is this. If God gives us life, He will sustain life. And if God provides for the animals, will He not provide for His children? The psalmist wrote, Psalm 37:25, I have been young. And now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. So, folks, if you're worried about food, this is what Jesus said. If God gives life, he sustains life. And if he provides for the animals, he will provide for you. Now, the second illustration that he gives us, or basic need that we have, is concerning clothing. I have, I've never understood how a woman can go to a closet, open the door, look in, and clothes are everywhere, and stand there and say, I don't have a thing to wear. And yet I have heard that on more than one occasion. So we worry about food. We worry about clothing. Now, look at what he says in verse number 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. Now, it's interesting to me. In verse number 26, 26, he says, look at the birds. In other words, it's obvious. Look at the birds. And then he says, observe the lilies. The word observe that is used there means to give serious consideration to. Now, this lesson is going to be a little more difficult. So he says, observe the lilies. Look at the birds. It's an obvious lesson. Observe the lilies. What is it we're supposed to learn? Well, I think it is this. Flowers are beautiful. 
I always come in here on Sunday morning and I look at the flowers because they're, they're beautiful. And then I look in the bulletin to see who gave them and who they are in honor of. So I, the flowers, flowers are beautiful. This is the point that he's making. If God so adorns these flowers that are temporary, won't he take care of man who is eternal? Now, understand that the audience of Jesus understood what he was saying. The Palestinian oven at that time was clay. And when they wanted to bring it to a quick heat, they always had some dried grass or flowers that they would throw in as kindling to bring the heat up quickly. Jesus is saying, if these flowers are going to be thrown into the oven as kindling, isn't God going to take care of you and your needs because you are eternal? So he says, you don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about clothing. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Folks, we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Now, that does not mean that we don't plan for tomorrow. There are some people who say, well, I just trust God. I'm not supposed to plan. I just get up and, and go on my way, but I, I don't have any plans. No, the Bible says that God planned your salvation before this world was created. The Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Did you know that? He chose that we were going to be saved in Him. That is the way that we are saved. He had a plan for your salvation before He ever created the world. So we are to plan does not mean we are not to plan. Here's the thing, though. Our planning for tomorrow must not cripple our usefulness for today. I know some people who elaborately plan for their retirement. They plan for down the way. You should do that. That is a part of stewardship. So you should do that. That is the right thing to do. But in planning for tomorrow, folks, don't lose life today. I know some people who, they, they put everything in the tomorrow, but they fail to live life today. I think you should plan for tomorrow, but you should also live today. So, we see the focus of worry here. He says there are three basic things we worry about. Food, clothing, and tomorrow. Don't worry. Because we see the folly of worry. Someone said that, Worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't take you anywhere. Worry is counterproductive. Uh, sometimes I don't sleep well at night. Uh, I'll get to thinking about something, and I know none of you have that issue to deal with, but I'll get to thinking about something. I think, what's Wes doing? I bet he hadn't done this. I bet he hadn't done that. And, 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 and I can't sleep. Now, the next day, am I more productive? No, I'm just tired. So it is counterproductive physically. Charles Mayo of the Mayo Clinic wrote, Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. 
There was a British clinic that did a study of 500 patients and concluded that one-third of their patients who worried had visual problems. So it's counterproductive physically. It is counterproductive emotionally because when we worry, we become less productive and irritable. I had an aunt, Aunt Ruby. I loved her. I don't know if she ever worried about anything. She was just always in a good mood. I never remember seeing Aunt Ruby who wasn't in a good mood. Now, she had her hair dyed jet black. And she had real red fingernail polish and lips. I mean, you know, she was one of those women. All the jewelry and all that stuff. She was blind in one eye. And then as she came to the end of life, she had to go into a nursing home. She lost sight in the other eye, so she was totally blind. She lost both her legs. And the nurses there said that her room was the gathering place. They said, we all like to go down there because she was so funny. She always had a funny story. She always was in a good mood. Folks, there are a lot of things that happen to us, but we become the loser when we spend all of our time worrying about it. That, that is not only true physically, does it have a bad impact on us, also emotionally and spiritually, because when we worry, it means that we're living a life of fear rather than a life of faith. So it's counterproductive, and he says that it's useless in verse number 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single cubit to his life's span? Now, the word lifespan can mean height or it can mean length of life. Well, a cubit is about 18 inches, so he's probably not talking about height. He's probably talking about length of life. So here's what he's saying. If you worry, you're not going to extend your life. If you do anything, you're going to shorten it. So he says it's useless. You can worry if you want to, but understand as a result of worry, you are not going to extend your life. So it is counterproductive. It is useless. And it causes us to forget things we need to remember. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You know, that's worth remembering, isn't it? That's something we ought to remember. But what happens is when we begin to worry, we begin to forget how God has provided for us in the past. Now, you can look at the people of Israel. They were in Egyptian bondage. When they were in bondage, they began to cry out to God, God, deliver us. And you remember what God did? He sent Moses, and then he sent the plagues to force uh, Pharaoh to release them. And then when they were released, they came to the Red Sea, and God parted it. They went across on dry land. When they were in the wilderness, they needed food, and God provided them with manna to eat. God had provided for them every step of the way. Now, when they got to the promised land, they sent in the twelve spies, and the spies came back and said, Oh, when we got over there, it was all that God said it was going to be, land flowing with milk and honey. There are giants over there. I mean, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. There are giants over there. Now, what did the people do when they heard that news? Did they say, oh, but you don't have to worry? Because God has always provided for us. I mean, look at the Red Sea. He parted it. He has provided us with manna. He has provided all of our needs. We can trust in God. Did they say that? No, this is what they said in Numbers chapter 14, verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword 
our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Folks, they were whining like a bunch of Baptists. <laughs> Rather than remember that God had provided miracles on their behalf. They said, oh, we're going to die out here. We're going to become plunder for them. The disciples forgot the sufficiency of Jesus. When Jesus was here on earth ministering, He walked on water. He fed the multitude. He healed the sick. He did all of those things. But the disciples forgot His power. When Mary and Martha sent word to to Jesus and said that Lazarus is sick, would you come back? Well, the disciples said, Jesus, you know, if you go back to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. And then in John eleven sixteen, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. He's going to get us killed. If we go back with him, we are going to die. See, they forgot all about that. They forgot the miracles that Jesus had performed. They forgot the provision that Jesus had. And they said, oh, if we follow him, then we're going to die out there. Doesn't that happen to us? We forget that God has provided for our needs in the past, and so we worry about tomorrow. We forget that God has promised to meet our needs for today. Galatians says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. We forget that, don't we? See, he says the folly of worry is that it's counterproductive physically, spiritually, emotionally, in every way. He says it's useless. You can worry if you want to, but it's not going to add any length of life to you. And he said, and when you worry, it's because you have forgotten God's provision in the past. That God has provided for, God has provided for you yesterday. Every one of you can give testament to that. God has provided for you in the past. But then we worry, but will he provide for me today? And we begin to worry. Third thing we see is the faith that overcomes worrying. Can, can we overcome worry with faith? Well, it depends on the quality of your faith. Now look at verse number 30. But if God so raised the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Little faith does not overcome worry. But what is little faith? Oh, men of little faith. What is little faith? Well, I believe that it may be faith that is limited to the spiritual realm. Now, what I mean by that is this. I can trust God to provide streets of gold in heaven... But I can't trust him with my gold card. See, I I can trust God to save me, but I can't trust him for daily bread. And when our faith is limited, when, when your faith, folks, when your faith only is directed towards when I die. Oh, God is going to provide a beautiful home in heaven for me when I die. God is going to provide a mansion for me when I die. If I limit my faith simply to the spiritual realm and don't understand that God cares for me today, then my faith is little faith. Well, what causes our faith to be little? What causes it to be limited? Well, we don't learn from observation. 
We look at the birds, but do you learn that God provided for them? They didn't plant. They didn't water. They didn't do anything. They just ate. But do you learn that lesson? That's what He wants you to learn. Whenever you look at the flowers and how beautiful they are, do you learn that God has adorned them and He's going to take care of you? See, folks, the problem that we have sometimes is that we don't learn from experience. He has met my needs in the past, but I'm not sure that I can trust Him to meet my needs today. Is that a problem for you? This means yes, this means no. Is that a problem for you? I said, just Steve and me. I know Steve doesn't believe. Not only is it true individually, it's true corporately. You know, we just came through um, December, and, and, you know, you go through the year, and our finances, well, our deficit becomes greater and greater and greater and greater. People say, oh, this is going to be the one. This is the one that we're going to lose everything. They're going to repossess the church. I said, no, because we put the deacons up as collateral, so you don't have to worry about that. No, we didn't get much for you. See, we do the same thing, and then we come to December, and, and uh, the Lord provides. Can you believe that? I mean, we made it through another year. Praise the Lord. And then January comes, oh, my goodness, here we go again. See, that's what we do, and that's what the Lord is saying. Rather than just rest in Him and trust Him, and God, what is it you want us to do? We begin to worry about those things. So how do we move then from little faith to great faith? Wouldn't you like to do that? How do I move from this little faith? Oh, you have little faith. How do I move from that little faith to great faith? Well, he said, don't be like the Gentiles. Look at verse number 31. Do not be anxious then saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we clothe ourselves for all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. Now, the Gentiles is a reference to unbelievers. He said, don't be, don't, you're a, you're a child of God. Don't live your life like an unbeliever. And the Gentiles had three flawed beliefs about life. First of all, they believed that life was accidental. Uh, they believed that it had no purpose, had no design, it was accidental. And see, that's one of the things that we face today because of evolution and so forth. There's no purpose. People don't understand that God created them, that there's a purpose to life. We just sort of the result of an accident. Here we are. Life is accidental. That's what the unbelievers believed. The second thing is that life is fatalistic. Whatever will be, will be. And that this life is all there is. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow you die. That was the Gentiles. He said, don't be like the Gentiles. Life is accidental. Life is fatal. Life is all that there is. We are not like the Gentiles because our belief is in God. Our faith is in God. And God knows your needs there in verse number 32b. He said, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Isn't that a comfort to you? He's talking about food. He's talking about clothing. He's talking about these things that we need now, you know. Not all the things that we want, but the things that we need. God knows what your needs are. Your Heavenly Father knows what your needs are. So God knows your needs. He said God cares about your needs. The Bible says in Romans 8:32, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? God knows your needs. And I know that there are some of you who have needs, and I've been praying for you. 
We, we have some people in our church, wonderful people. They have some serious needs right now. God knows. God cares. And God meets the needs of His children. The Bible says in Philippians 4.19, My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, that's the promise of God. You're His child. God knows what your need is. He knows what you're going through. He cares about it and He meets our needs. But our focus must be on God. Where was the Gentiles' focus? In verse number 31, Do not be anxious, then say, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. That's where the unbeliever focuses. He focuses on the food. He focuses on the clothes. He focuses on this need. focuses on that need. Folks, our focus must be on God who is sufficient. He says in verse number 33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. If you want your faith to go from little faith to great faith. If you want to live your life in the peace of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit, then He said, seek. Seek. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 105, verse 4, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Seek the Lord. He says, seek Him first. Now, folks, we love Him, but when He says first, that speaks of priority. Is God first in your life? I'm not asking you right now, do you love God? I'm going to assume that you do. But is He first in your life? See, that's what He says. Seek first. He is to be the priority of your life. Seek His righteousness because the holier we are, the greater our faith. The more you seek the righteousness of Christ, the greater your faith. Let me conclude. I want to give you four words to defeat worry. First of all is prayer. Begin each day in prayer, giving the day to God. Let me just suggest to you that as soon as you wake up in the morning, now listen to me, as soon as you wake up in the morning, You might just say, this is the day the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. But God, this is your day. It makes a difference, folks, if you understand that this is the day that God created. He created it. So give the day to God. Begin in prayer. Begin with the Bible. Because you'll gain instruction and strength as you spend time in His Word. Patience. Give God the opportunity to meet your need. He might not be on your timetable. But give Him the opportunity to meet your need and then commitment. Trust Jesus to meet your needs rather than worry about your circumstances. A poem says, When the birds begin to worry and the lilies toil and spin, and God's creatures are all anxious, then I also may begin. For my Father sets their table, decks them out in garments fine, And if he supplies their living, will he not provide for mine? Just a noisy common sparrow can be found most anywhere unto some just worthless creatures. If they perish, who would care? Yet our Heavenly Father numbers every creature, great and small. 
caring even for the sparrows, marking when to earth they fall. If his children's hairs are numbered, why should we be filled with fear? He has promised all that's needful and in trouble to be near. The word from the Lord today, trust him. He knows your needs. He cares, and he'll meet them. Our gracious Father and God, we come to a time of decision, of commitment. We extend an invitation. And Lord, I just pray for those who have never come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his peace and his provision that today they might trust him. And I pray, Father, for those who are really struggling. I pray that they would be encouraged today, that they would find strength and peace from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you'll bless this invitation time in Christ's name. Amen. Just a moment, we'll stand and sing a hymn of invitation. An opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you're without Christ today, would you come to trust Him? If you're looking for a church home, my doors are open to you. We'd love to have you. You want to come and pray, you do that. Let's stand together as we stand. The choir sings as they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.